This episode of Little Bit of Life podcast is sponsored by Five Star AF. I found this amazing designer company located here in Dallas, Texas. They are a designer handbag brand that also features apparel, accessories, and even pet clothes. Yes, my Frenchie has one of their amazing jean jackets. They are based on celebrating the good life and all of the upgrades that come with it. Have you ever just felt like you're just a little bit different? You're just a little bit extra? Has anyone called you extra and said, man, why are you just not basic? It's because life comes with all twists and turns and we are anything but basic. Make sure you check them out at fivestaraf.com and also on Instagram. They have incredible opportunities for you to shop from apparel, handbags, pride gear, pet gear, and the extras. Make sure you order today. Welcome to Little Bit of Life Podcast. I'm your host, Tabitha, better known as Little on social media. A lot of you may know me from social media, but Little is shown off the apps. This podcast is dedicated to having the real, raw, and occasional chats on topics of what we seem to think but don't say. Special guests will join in that have impacted me along the way. Very little is left off limits. Enjoy on your favorite streaming platform, watch live videos of interviews on YouTube, and let's dive into some topics together. Hey guys, welcome into another episode, a little bit of life podcast with your host, Little. Today, I have a true crime episode that is just mind-blowing. When we talk about the Duncans, you may have seen them on social media, on their viral videos, on TikTok, or even on a news story that you just happen to pull up and see. When we hear their story, especially in this day and age, we hear everything from ex-wives and ex-husbands and just really awkward and weird situations that sound like they were written in Hollywood for a movie. But this happened in real life with the Duncan family. We are talking about an ex-wife trying to get a hitman that did not work for her ex-husband. And what did she do? Her and her new husband chose to carry it out themselves. When you listen to this episode, I really want you to think, what would I have done in that moment? But better yet, if you've gone through a traumatic experience, do you allow that trauma to change your life and completely flip everything upside down? Or do you allow it to be a learning lesson and you move forward and ahead as a stronger person and also help others that may have gone through something similar? Sit back, listen to this incredible interview with the Duncans, and keep that in the back of your mind. Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome in another episode, Little Bit of Life Podcast with Little, where it's everything that we seem to think but don't say. If my listeners, I know you have TikTok. I know you're searching that for you page. And I know that there is a couple that we have on today that you have seen their story. You've heard it in bits and pieces, part one, part two, part three, even might, you might've gone into their live and been a part of the action, so to speak. But when we're talking about their real life story and what has occurred to them, we're not only talking about the impact that that moment had, but what that traumatic experience has done in the healing process and the recovery process after trauma. Please welcome on Molly and Lindsay. Duncan, how are you guys today? We're good. Thank you for having us on. Yeah, thank you. I'm so honored not only to share the story with you on social media of what happened because you're so open and vulnerable and expressing in detail what occurred. For those that maybe don't have social media, can you let us know from the start what happened in that fateful day that has now changed the rest of your life? To start? Yeah. Okay. So um, it was February 12th, 2020. Um, we, it was honestly just a very normal day for us. Um, we lived outside of a little town, uh, Yellow Springs, Ohio, lived about four minutes out of town at that time. And we're just kind of going about and doing our morning routine. I think it was a Wednesday. We had ran in town, grabbed coffee, grabbed breakfast. He had just returned from a trip, um, from Texas and had been gone for about two weeks. So we were kind of using the morning to catch up with each other and just, you know, reconnect a little bit. And we were coming back home from that, you know, trip in town. And it was a little, like a little before 11 a.m., I think, um, approaching 11 a.m. And I was driving. I usually drive. (laughs) And I was driving um, my, we had a Tahoe at the time. And we were coming down the road, approaching our driveway. Um, And down the road, we noticed, we, we lived in kind of a rural area. So there were cornfields and, you know, um, open areas down the road. Um, and it was February again. So the fields were, they didn't have any crops or anything in them, but, 
up the road, um, there was like an access field or access road to the field. And there was this dark SUV just kind of parked sitting there up the road. And immediately we both kind of like, well, that's odd because we had lived at our house for a number of years and had never seen anything like that. And so we both kind of said, you see that car up there? Like, you know, what's that all about? Um, and we, neither one of us, you know, I don't think we were super over alarmed, but we definitely took notice of it. And so that was about it. And we pulled in our driveway and, um, when we pulled in, we had a gate Mm -hmm. at our home. So the gate was closed. And so we pulled in and stopped because there was an Amazon package like up against the gate. And then we were going to get the mail as well. So I told Lindsay, I said, I'll get the Amazon package. You get the mail. Um, well, in the time that I got the package returned to the car and he got the mail and started heading back to the car, unbeknownst to me, cause I'm back in the car at this time, that dark SUV pulled out on the road and started just basically creeping towards our driveway, extremely, extremely slow. And you at that moment knew in your gut something was was very wrong right yeah i was uh, i reached in to get the mail i looked out my left side peripheral vision i've never we never seen a vehicle in that location before ever in four years and i and it started creeping out and that's when i went oh no something's not right and something inside my instinct yeah it was just 100 percent instinct it said something is just not right and I felt my adrenaline dump. And when I did that, um, I grabbed the mail and I walked back to the car as fast as I could. And when I walked back to the car, I put the mail down and I said, give me your gun to Molly. And interestingly enough, it's the first time I had never not had my gun. We both have concealing carry license and permits and we both carry. And there's a reason why we carry. And it's part of the story mm-hmm. because my ex-wife had tried to hire a, a hitman to kill me. And so we had gone out that the sheriff couldn't do anything. And he says, you know, you should probably get a conceal and carry and just learn to protect or defend yourself. Mm-hmm. And so that day is the day that it happened. And I went back and she opened up her, she didn't say a word. I didn't say why. Which I think is, is crazy because like, <clears throat> I think back and like the natural response is, what's what, going on? What do you mean? Like why? Yeah, didn't but say there was just, there was like something in to- inside of me, I think at that moment that said, just listen, because I had my, my conceal and carry weapon inside like the center console of our vehicle. And so I, it was like, I could tell by the look on his face and he was very like intent, just give me your gun. And I just, opened up that center console and I handed Mm -hmm. it to him literally within probably one second of me saying that I felt like this presence on my left side, the driver's side of the car. And I looked over and there is this man that, I mean, he seemed like huge. (laughs) I don't know what, it would just like seem so. Well, he was, he was six foot four and a half and he weighed 240 pounds and he was no fat. He was all solid muscle. Yeah. Yeah. But he had a a green camo ski mask on. So all you could really see was his mouth and his eyes. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was all packed up. He had this big jacket Mm -hmm. on and everything. And he had a black, um, a, a black automatic pistol. Um, a large one, and it had a silencer uh, on the barrel, a silencer groove on the end of the barrel. And he pointed the gun to Molly's left temple. And when he did that, she had handed me her gun, her conceal and carry that. When did you buy that? Like, uh, It was literally, we got two that. Month, two or three months. I think, well, no, it was a long We I went back and looked. We had gotten that weapon in like late August of 2019, and then the shooting happened February 2020. And so, so. When, when she handed it to me, I chambered around immediately and which the police couldn't believe that I, there was no round chamber. They were like, you got to be kidding me. Why didn't you have a, a, a round yeah. chamber? Which that and, also got a lot of TikTok, a lot of engagement went, on TikTok. Well, so like, TikTok Why did you not have yeah. about yeah. not having a, a round chamber? We know. Yeah. No. So anyway, <laughs> I chambered around and when I did, I showed this guy, I showed him the gun and stepped back and I, and I, and I was standing on the passenger side. And when I stepped back, I was trying to get him to shoot 
at me instead of shooting Molly because he, he was only a foot away from Molly and had the gun right to her head. And when he saw that, his eyes went big like that. And he turned the gun towards me and to shoot at me. And right when he turned the gun towards me, I shot through the back passenger uh, window. window of the of the back row, the back seat of her Tahoe. I shot through the glass that was like literally an inch from me, and I shot through the glass that was behind Molly's head, and I hit him, and he went back. And mm -hmm. when he went back, he came around. All of a sudden, I dropped down. And I was looking for his feet, and he comes running around, hit, shot, blood going everywhere. And he comes running around the back of her Tahoe, and she's screaming like for God, literally the top of her lungs. And all you can hear is gun fire going off, her screaming, and glass breaking. Mm -hmm. And he comes running around, and when he got to the, the, the back of the Tahoe, he looked to shoot me and he thought I was up where I was before and I had dropped down low. And so when he came around, I shot him again. And that's when I lost him. I couldn't find him. After he went back and, and, and I could still hear Molly screaming. And then I was looking for his feet below the Tahoe and I couldn't find him. I couldn't find him anywhere. And so I stuck my head around the back end of the Tahoe and he was running across the street. And that's when I started giving him these really loud commands that people had called into the 911 yeah. and said, I can hear this guy saying, he sounds like a police officer. Well, I'm not a police officer. Well, they and I thought it was police, like the neighbors, they reported hearing they police commands. It was actually him because he was like, you know, saying, stop, get down, show me your Show gun. me your hands, you show know? me your gun, show yeah. me your hands. And I was giving him these very loud, very, yeah. <clears throat> very stern commands and I wanted him to turn. I wanted to see what he, where, where, where his gun was and where he, he had in his hands. Mm -hmm. And he stopped and he turned. And as soon as he turned, he had his hands here. And as soon as he turned, he went like this, but uh, I was far away and I shot him uh, two more times and then he dropped. And when he dropped to his knees, and I don't know why I did this, I just took off running straight for him. Molly was screaming for God and I was running towards him and I was trying to keep my, my, my bead of my six hour on him and I couldn't because I was running so fast and breathing so hard and my adrenaline was pumping. <clears throat> and as I was running towards him, he was just looking like this at me and he had his hands down here. And at that time I ran right up to him and I put my pistol about two inches from um, his temp, the temple ear area, his left side. And I was just saying, show me your hands, show me your hands. Because he still had his hands in his pocket. He had his hands point, in right? his jacket, yeah. And then all of a sudden, that's when the car, that I hadn't even mm -hmm. seen where it was, the car pulls up behind Molly's <clears throat> Tahoe and blocks her in. And that's when the person gets out of the car, runs to the front, and that's when I and, I, and I was about maybe 60 yards away. And I was, and that's when I went, oh my God, it's Cheryl, mm -hmm. my ex-wife. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's when I just, I, I like lost it. I was like, oh my God, this is not good. And she was, uh, she was a professional stunt woman. And so she was an expert with a gun. She mm -hmm. could break a gun down like 20 times faster than me because she had been in stunts where she had done these, you know, w a lot of weapons. She'd used a lot of weapons and she was a very, very good shot. And I was like, oh my God. And she said, and, she, and I had my pistol to the man's head and I was trying to get him to show me his, his hands. And I, from, I guess, where she was, it looked like I was, you know, going to execute this guy. And I was trying to get him to show me his hands. And she goes, Lindsay, no, I'm going to kill Molly. And she runs as fast as she can <clears throat> over to the door that I had left open, the passenger door that I had left open. And I was just like, I didn't even, 
I didn't even blink. I ran and I knew I was going to get shot in the back by the man with the mask on. And I was waiting to get shot in the back and I was running as fast as I could to Molly. And I was waiting to hear the guns go off the, to, for Cheryl to shoot her. And when I, as soon as I got there, she, thank God Molly had ducked down because Cheryl went to the front of the car and beat the gun, put the gun in on Molly's head. Molly dropped down. I could hear her screaming like a child. And then Cheryl had moved around as fast as she could. And as soon as I got there, she was walking up to Molly uh, to the window, the driver's side window, getting ready to shoot Molly, you know, somewhere in the head or the back. And, and I came running up as fast as I could, knowing that she was going to shoot me. She swings her gun towards me and I dropped down and I started firing my, my, my pistol. And that's when I, I knew I was hitting her. And that's when I, I, I didn't realize I hit her five times. And she went back and she hit the ground. And that's when I walked over to Molly. Molly was full panic attack. I mean, she couldn't breathe. She was mm. screaming. She was crying. She was, she was beside herself. And she was in a panic, like literally a panic. And I had to grab mm. her, her head and say, stop. You've got to stop. And 911's on the call saying, what happened? What happened? Trying to get information. And I'm saying, stop. It's over. They're both dead. And 911's like, who's dead? Who's dead? Yeah. And they're Well, because just to like, from, so my vantage point, when he, you know, cause I'm in the, the car the whole time, like never even got out. Um, in between and, two shootouts, like not yeah. sideways of shootouts, not a foot away. She is like, in the line of fire of mm -hmm. two separate shootouts. But I, um, I lost sight of him when he ran after the guy. And we didn't know who the guy, we, I mean, obviously we know who it is now, but at the time we had no clue that the, the man with the mask was Cheryl's current husband. husband and so when he chased after Reed across the street, I had no idea where he was. And all I could hear was wow. yelling and gunshots, you know, going on. And so I, and it's really interesting because like when this kind of thing happens, you know, you know, you're supposed to call 911, you know, you're supposed to do something, but it, it takes your brain like a minute to register. Like, okay, this is an emergency. Cause I, I did at first, I literally just was screaming at the top of my lungs. Like that's all I knew to do. And then you kind of like do something, call 911. He had dropped his phone down on the passenger side seat. I don't even know where my phone was. And I just, you know, ducked down. I grabbed his phone and I called 911 and was, you know, screaming at them. And it, it only took them like, I think, four minutes to get there. But it literally oh, seemed like an, like an like hour. hours. Yeah. And I, re I remember even like, I'm not proud of this, but I was like cussing. <laughs> I was like, where, you know, bleep, 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 where are you guys at? Like, when are you going to get here? Because it seems so long. But I remember having this thought, like, because I didn't know where he's at. And all the gunfire going, yeah. she knew I was dead. I was like, you've got to go see where he's at. I mean, I, I and I still, if I, I can't let my mind think about it, but I just had like this image of him being shot in the middle of the road, like bleeding to death, you know, and it's so like, you got to go help your husband. And right as I put my hand on the door handle to get out, that's when Cheryl came around. And I remember just that instant, like, because I didn't know who the guy was, but like when she came around, it was like, oh my God, That's like Cheryl. that is clearly, because she had sunglasses, a beanie, like I, her hair on. looked different, yeah. but I could still tell it was her. And I just instantly, and it's all on the 911 recording. Like that was the interesting part. Everything from start to finish basically was recorded from his phone, then to the 911 call. And so the police were able to trace everything, everything. that we said. And they were like, you're literally spot on. Like we're missing 10 seconds and that's it. Yeah. Um, but you can hear on the 911 call me like saying her name and like, you know, pleading with her. Um, and I just thought like, there's no way, like I assumed in that moment when I saw her, he's dead yeah. or bleeding to death. There's no way she's not going to go through with mm -hmm. this. And so you just, you kind of just try and like mentally prepare. And then out of nowhere, 
I like heard shots again and I see her fall. And that's when I saw him like sprinting right towards the side of my car. And I'm like, you know, it was insane. And so then, you know, he had, I was like full panic pandemonium. I mean, I don't even know how to describe that feeling. Um, but I was petrified. I remember saying, cause she, she fell right next to my car. I mean, that's where she died. Like literally right there, like two feet from her door. And I remember saying like, I, I want to get away because I just felt like, you know, like it's like a bad movie. She's going to get up and start well, shooting again, you know, like. What happened was is she was making noises because mm-hmm. her lungs were filling up with blood and she was making those noises that, at the end of life that the body can make. And it was, the noises were horrible. And that's when I said, I can't get out of my mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and she heard, Molly heard. And it said to Molly, she's still alive. Right. And so Molly just kept screaming, she's going to kill me. She's going to kill us. She's going to kill me. She's going to kill. And that's when I took her hand and I said, no. I said, stop. I said, it's over. I said, they're both gone. They're dead. And that's when 911 calls said, Mr. Duncan, Mr. Duncan, who's dead? What happened? Yeah. And I said, the people that tried to kill us, they're both dead. Yeah. And and she goes, can you, that's when she said to me, can you put your gun down? She goes, do you I'm have like, a, uh, when I, the police get here? I, sure. I, yeah, I, I absolutely. Said, I don't, you don't want to know what I said. Yeah. Cause I won't say it on your body. I said, I will not. I said, I will put my gun down when I see a uniform police officer, yeah. a uniform police officer. Yeah. And then, and this is how fast PTSD mm-hmm. sets in. I calmed the Molly down. The noises were still going on with Cheryl laying there and the car was running that had blocked Molly in her car. And I knew with, without a shadow of a doubt, there was going to be another person get out of the car with a gun and then another person and then another person. And then another, this is what the mind, this is what my mind said. And I, so I, Molly, I said, like, Mm -hmm. I said, I'm going to be right back. And I walked around and I took the other clip and I emptied my clip. And this is what wasn't shared on any of the, the, the TikTok or any of the other social media. And I dropped that clip that I had just shot 10 times. And I put a fresh clip in and I chambered around, which, which I needed to do. I walked over to the car and I opened the back door. It had black tinted windows. You couldn't see anything. And then I put my gun into the car, waiting for more shots to come out, more people or shots to come out of the car. And obviously there wasn't anybody else, but that's just what you just feel like. You feel like it's not going to stop. You literally feel they're just going to keep on coming. Mm -hmm. And all you can do is fight or flight. You can just defend yourself and defend your wife and defend your family. And that's, that's, I was going to do it until I I took it, took my shot. And that within just like a couple of, I mean, probably a matter of seconds at that point, it literally was like every police car in all the surrounding counties. I mean, they just, I've never seen so many police cars in my life, but they shut the road off both ways. And, you know, they, he goes out in the middle of the road, puts down his, his weapon. And then they, and it would, this was the really interesting part too, that we haven't talked about is like, they immediately separate the two of us because it's like, we need a story from each of you. Mm -hmm. Um, I was put in one car. He was put in another. They're like, we need your phones. We need this. We need that. Um, I was put in the back of a police car and they shut the door and I'm sitting there and you're just, again, your brain is just trying to like, like I literally was just coming home from the grocery store and now I'm sitting in the back of this police car yeah. with you know the road barricaded and, and two bodies on the ground and one already has a sheet over it and i'm sitting in the back of the car and i started to have a panic attack and i couldn't breathe and so i like go to open the car well you can't get out of the back of a police car i'm like oh yeah i guess you're not supposed to be able to get out mm-hmm. so i am like banging on the window and this this cop that i think had literally start the week started yeah. the week before he was yeah. a total rookie 
Bless. I felt bad. It was just. And he had never seen anything like this. Shell shocked. Yeah, Yeah. he was shocked. And I'm like, I said, you've got to. I'm gonna pass out. I said, I'm not going anywhere, but you have to open this door. Like I'm literally gonna have a heart attack in here. And and they were. I will say the police officers of Greene County and like everybody was. They were so amazing, so kind. I mean, they they had a job to do. They had to get the story, but they were so like gracious to us, you know. But. He opened the door and I was like, okay, I can breathe a little bit. But then, you know, we're both taken to the police station. We're detained separately for like eight hours. Then you got to meet with an attorney and it's just this whole, I mean, like crazy gamut of like, you know, emotions and things taking place. It was just insane. I think when when something like this happens and it's so traumatic, when I know people are listening and, and I'm sure when people watch on TikTok and I've been in the lives and I've watched the comments, people always think that when this happens, you've seen it in the movies, you know exactly what you're going to do. It is so opposite because your adrenaline is going, but everything is almost slowed down in slow motion. And what seems like four minutes is four hours. So if you're listening right now and you're like, I would have done this different. Absolutely not. Uh uh-uh. yeah and no it does, it's it doesn't work like that yeah and, and that definitely was not the way yeah it, it's it's crazy how like reality just like you said just completely slows down and i don't know the things that go through your mind you know i mean i was for sure like like i said i was convinced he was dead and then when i saw her i just was like you know you start you do start thinking like, okay, I'm never going to see my children again. I'm never going to see my parent, like all of those mm-hmm. like things, you know, flash through your mind in that moment. It's terrifying. So yeah, that in a nutshell is what happened to us. And then, then we had to go through the whole process of, you know, I guess it's protocol for this kind of thing to go before a jury, a grand jury, a grand jury. And yeah. so he was a hundred percent fully exonerated. It was ruled complete self-defense. Um, in fact, we both had to get up on the stand and tell our, you know, our version of what happened. And there were actual like jury the jurors. They were there. Some of them were actually were crying, listening to our story. Yeah. I mean, it was just very clear, you know, what had happened. Um, and yeah. so, yeah. The big that's, question that's that raised in my <laughs> mind is why? Why was this done to you? What was what was supposed to be the the plan? Why was this done and carried out? Mm-hmm. So about five years prior, she had uh, she had hired a hitman who was actually um, a, a, a former military former military, and he was mm-hmm. a teacher uh, of, for the snipers um, in Texas, um, and and he this was somebody who had taught. A sniper class for like something like 25, 30 years. And so he came to me one day and he said, I have to tell you, he goes, I want to meet you somewhere. And so we met at my ranch in, in Bastrop, just outside of Bastrop, Texas. And over about a three and a half hour period, he told me that Cheryl had contacted him and, and had uh, offered him uh, a large, very large sum of money from a very large insurance policy that she had out on my life. And she had offered to give him so much money each year for 10 years and forget as a loan and then forgive it each year. And I said, why are you coming to me and telling me this? And I'll never forget the look in his eyes when he told me this. He said, she, she is going to kill you. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to get blamed for it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. He said, something is not right. And he said, she will kill you mm-hmm. or she will attempt to. And I'm not getting. Bl-. And I said, you understand that when you leave my property, I'm calling the police. And he goes, yes, I understand that. And I said, you understand that I'm going to tell them everything that you've said to me. And he goes, yes, I understand that. And I said, and you understand that they're going to ask you they're going to call you in and they're going to ask you and he goes yes i understand it he goes that's why i've done this yeah and and that's exactly what happened Mm -hmm. and then the austin police department called cheryl and reed in and they go put put them through an interrogation 
And there was probably five or six different detectives on this. And then the lead detective calls me and says, Mr. Duncan, uh, we're not going to press charges. And I said, why? And he goes, oh, he goes, we've got bigger things that we have to deal with. There's a, 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 a there's more serious issues and she's remarried and it was, we a, think she's moved on. We and, think she's moved on. And it was uh, yeah. almost a year ago. And, uh, and I said, did you talk to Billy? Did you talk to the hitman? And they go, yes, we did. We talked to him for uh, quite some time. And I said, is that not enough evidence? And they go, well, they go, it's enough evidence, but we think that she's moved on and we're just not going to pursue it. Yeah. The DA is not going to pursue it. And I said to them, I said, I want you, I hope you're recording this call. I said, somebody will end up dead. I go, it'll probably be me or my wife. I go, but somebody will end up dead. I go, you, are, you all are making a big mistake here. And I go, you'll, you'll see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that four and a half, five years prior to the event at our driveway with uh, 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 ski masks, camo, cameras set up across the street, fake driver's license, fake license plates, fake passports, 300 rounds of ammunition, zip ties, everything. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they're caught. When you go through a traumatic experience, PTSD is something that it doesn't just go away or disappear after the event has happened. How has that affected not only each of you, but also your marriage? Because you went through this traumatic experience together, but each of your narratives, like obviously Molly, you were in the car. So your experience, you were at the same event, but it's different. And Lindsay, your experience was different. Yeah. So how has that worked within PTSD and your marriage and healing together, but almost in a different way on your own? Mm -hmm. We almost divorced. That's how it <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> right. We uh, we started, <laughs> like just cut we to the chase. Yeah, we we almost divorced. <laughs> we started self medicating. Yeah. We started suppressing it, and mm -hmm. it doesn't. You can't suppress it. It's not suppressible. Yeah, it's not suppressible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we. It just isn't. We so we like this happened literally, probably forty five days before COVID really hit and before everything got shut down. And, um, we did a little bit of therapy and then, uh, really didn't find the right therapist and kind of got frustrated with that process. And then we, we moved because I, I couldn't be at that home anymore. I had a really difficult time leaving and, and coming back home, obviously. And my kids had problems and it was just like, we needed a new space. Luckily we had already kind of been looking for a different house. And I think God was kind of already putting those pieces into play. Um, and so we moved and we distracted ourselves with like, Oh, let's do renovations now and let's do this and let's do that. And then, you know, COVID you're not working, you're not going out anywhere. And we, we did, we started self-medicating with a lot of frequent alcohol, you know, and just, just, numbing ourselves out, obviously, because it always took the edge off. And, you know, you can only do that for so long. Um, it was a total band-aid. And then almost a year to the date, about 25 days short of the one year anniversary of the shooting, everything just kind of imploded, like in our personal life. And we kind of got to this point where we looked at each other and said, you know, we love each other, but this is a lot. And like, it might be just easier much. to go our separate ways. And, you know, like people have their tipping point. And, and so we kind of honestly for about four or five days had decided like, we're, we're going to end the marriage. And like he left, we were talking about how we were going to, like we were even talking about who's getting the dogs, um, which I was getting the dogs. <laughs> um, <laughs> by the way. But yeah, like we just, we, I mean, that's how far a lot we were definitely like, this is the direction we were going. And then um, one night I, again, and I've always been prone to panic attacks. Like those started in my early twenties. Um, but obviously when you go through a trauma, it, makes it even more significant. And so one night, it was probably like three nights after he had left. Um, I just woke up like out of a sound sleep. And literally, I was like, I'm dying. Like, I cannot. And if you've never had a panic, like people that say panic attacks are not that big of a deal. Like, I don't know if you've had one or not. I <laughs> talk about depression and anxiety. Okay, so you can probably really like you literally can feel like you are dying. 
And um, it just mm-hmm. kept getting more and more and more intense. And we were not even really speaking at this point. But for whatever reason, um, I picked up the phone and I called him. And I and I don't even think I could really speak when he answered the phone. Um, and I was like, I I need you to come home. Like, I need you. And he, he was actually staying at the home where the shooting had happened because we hadn't sold it yet. It took us like two and a half, three years to sell that house. Um, So he had gone back there just to like, we were, you know, trying to figure things out and go our separate ways. So he was like 15 minutes away. He drove home, stayed on the phone with me the whole time. And then for whatever reason that night, I think we talked until like 3 a.m. in the morning. It was like, and I honestly, this is the weird part about it. Um, I I remember everything when it comes to conversations and I can't even remember like what was said that night to each other. But I know like we said things to each other in a way that we had not before. And it was almost like I understood him and he understood me. And at that point it was like, okay, I don't know if this can work. And he didn't either, but we're at least going to fight for it. And we're at least going to try. And so we decided that we both, we had to do the work to heal. Like we can't keep suppressing this. And it, it did look different for both of us. Like you said, like we went through the same situation, but it affected us differently. And so, you know, because of his background, so heavily rooted in nutrition, and he's been fasting since he was 20 years old. I think there was something that told you you needed he needed to go back to that. Yep. So he left and went a series of different places, and I'll I'll let you fill him on that. Or forty days. Yeah, he was gone for like yeah I think it was even a little bit longer than that. Um, doing the work that he needed to do and fasting and just you know soul searching all those things that you have to do. And then I did the same thing, but I, I stayed at home and I just, that's, that's when I really just kind of, I had been fighting like what we had been through so much. Like I didn't want to accept it. It, it really honestly made me so angry. It made me um, feel embarrassed, which a lot of people are like, well, why were you embarrassed? Like you were, you know, the victim. And I'm like, no, I felt embarrassed because I thought a lot of people looked at us and just was like, their life is a complete mess like who would want their life and we live in a small community too yeah and there was a lot of everything yeah and i just i did not want to even like look at it i didn't want to if somebody would bring it up to me i would change the subject really really fast like if somebody would have told me i'd be doing this i would have been like no way i will never talk about it like i just wanted to pretend like it had never happened and two nights after we get home back to the house or maybe it was one two nights i don't know uh, we turn on the TV and there we are on Inside, Inside Edition. Edition. Yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly what we didn't mm. see. Mm-mm. We're watching Deborah Norville. Yeah. You know, <laughs> at the beginning, as, as the teaser, yeah. you know, say, there's, you know, wait till you see this couple. This couple two, yeah. gun, two people gunned down in their driveway. Wait till you see who was there waiting and hiding, waiting. Yeah. It's just drama. They just wanted to dramatize it. And E Entertainment had called us, and, and our attorneys said no. Uh, uh, Inside Edition had called us yeah. uh, at least a dozen times, and our attorneys just said the Duncans don't, don't want to. We don't want to talk. Yeah, we were offered on ridiculous amounts of money from these studios in in Europe to for the rights to the movie, and and we're sitting here going, you know, this is embarrassing. This is it's our, like our life. life. This yeah. is not. This is not. Uh, what is it? Inside Edition. This date, is Dateline. Date, this is yeah. our life. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, I don't know. It's, it's kind of like at that point, I, I think you can only, and, and this is what I would say to, to people who are listening, because, you know, like our situation is very unique and chances are there's not a lot of people that are going to have gone through something exactly like we've gone through. But here is the thing that I, that I'll say, like, no matter what you've gone through, pain is pain. And like when you go through a significant trauma or a loss or an illness or whatever it is that like disrupts your life in a huge way, um, the pain and the emotion a lot of the times is very similar, like across the board. And I think you can only suppress it and ignore it and distract yourself for a certain amount of time. And eventually, sometimes it'll be six months, sometimes it'll be six years, but eventually it will capitulate to where you have a choice. I either have to like face this 
and do the work to heal or it's literally going to ruin my life. And that's that's kind of where we came to. It's like, look, you know, they're gone, but ultimately they're going to win because we're going to divorce. We're never going to see each other again. Our lives are completely going to fall apart as we know it. And so I um, the time that I was working on myself, that's when I really started writing and trying to just get some of this out. Writing's always been very therapeutic to me. Um, and that's really how my company tattoos of my soul was, you know, even came to be, um, I was running on the treadmill one day when I tattoos of my soul just came to me. I was like, that's a, that's a good name for like a blog <laughs> because that's all, that, all tattoos was just going to be a blog. That's all I was planning to do. And then, um, you know, my, my faith is a huge part of my life. And there was something that told me when I was like at my lowest point, Hey, if you started like maybe praying for others, it would actually help you. Like something just told me that. So one day I was on Facebook and I just like posted, Hey, does anybody have any interest in a prayer group? And I got this huge response. And so I created this private group and you know, it's got about a thousand people in it now and it's about two years old and it's just all about prayer and it's all about, I post, you know, scripture in there and it's just very encouraging. Um, but then things just kept like morphing from yeah. that. And it was like, well, Hey, now I think I'd like to maybe help other people who are struggling. So then when we finally met up after being apart, we came together, um, in, in Florida, Florida. Yeah. and we started talking about kind of our individual journeys and like what we had, cause we didn't really talk that much while we were apart. We just kind of, you know, gave each other space. And it was very interesting because we both had come to the same realization that we needed to use this extremely painful circumstance to help other people and and to do something good with it. And that's when I said, I think um, I saw this thing online. It's called life coaching and I've kind of been looking at it and I think I might be good at it. I think I want to try it. And it takes, you know, I have to do get a little certification, but it's not that big of a deal. And he was like, yeah, do it, like go for it. And so I like found this awesome life coach school, life purpose Institute. And I was like, that's it. That's perfect. You know? And so then I got my coaching certification and then we, we started talking about like what his was going to look like, you know, and I'll let you explain that obviously. Yeah, it's mine's just as simple. It's what I've always done. It's not just, actually simple, but it's, it's, what I've it's amazing. Done. Yeah. <laughs> I built three large nutritional supplement companies previously and I had uh, finished. I was done with business. I couldn't stand corporate America. I couldn't yeah. stand the lies and the manipulation and the, just the cheating and just the, the dark, just the dark aspect of the corporate world. I just think it's a poisonous, toxic cesspool. And I just wanted nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. And so I was done. And, um, and after that day, um, you know, being spared, I just decided mm-hmm. well, I'm going to help people. Yeah. So that's what I did when I I think your story is amazing and I think it I think your story amazes so many people because of what happened but it's not just about the the craziness of how it happened and, and what happened but I think what's really incredible about you as a couple is you're not allowing the trauma to define either one of you mm-hmm. in where you were in that moment of your life versus where you're choosing to go next mm-hmm. When you're a victim of anything in response to trauma, PTSD, it can define you and, like you said, ruin the rest of your life or you can use that as a tool to bring out your creativity, to bring out what you have and and have available to other people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what draws so many people to your story is not, hey, this happened and, and people look at it as entertainment, but it's the most traumatic thing can happen to you, but it's what you're doing next with it. And I think both of you are unbelievably strong and incredible for not only what you've been through, but turning that more into a positive direction to change your lives and helping other people. Thank you. We appreciate that. And I think too, you know, you asked about the individual PTSD, like I, I will say like, I still, I mean, it's, it's only been three years. So there's still things that I notice within myself. Like when it first happened, it was very significant and almost kind of crippling in a way I've moved past a lot of that. But like, for me, 
like because both the shooting and then when him and I almost, you know, parted ways, it came, it, it came very abruptly. So I have like this thing within me where it's like any sign of anything bad, I kind of go into worst case scenario. Yeah. Worst case. And I, I kind of freak out a little bit, you know, and I can go mm-hmm. to just complete panic and I really have to continue. And I think I'll probably have to do this for the rest of my life continue to just say, you know, the past doesn't equal the future. Like you don't, you, you don't need to, to freak out. You can manage this. And, and my, and we did finally go to therapy <laughs> and my therapist said something um, really good to me. And I've actually passed this along to a lot of my coaching clients. And he said to me one day when I was in there kind of in freak out mode and he was like, Molly, he was like, you you've survived like a shooting you know you and Lindsay yeah you and Lindsay are still together you know he's like look at everything you've been through you're still standing he said I'm pretty sure you're gonna make it through whatever comes around the pike and he said but the thing you need to remember when you have that panic feeling is he need he said you need to take a couple of deep breaths and then say to yourself I have the tools to manage whatever comes my way And that one statement, I don't know, like it just resonated with me. And I literally use it on sometimes a weekly basis, like, okay, I can manage this, you know? And I think it's just a learning process. It never goes away completely. It is tattooed on my soul. Like, I mean, that hints the name, you know, like it's not going to go away, but it doesn't have to rule our life. We don't have to become addicted and, and numb ourselves out we we can choose a different route and we can help other people because of this trauma and i think that that's what we're doing you know and that's really why we're okay with talking about it cuz there was some there was some nasty comments like oh you're just trying to get famous or you're trying to make money off this awful thing and it's like no but we're doing something good but you have to understand where we've been in order to understand what we're doing now so that's why we talk about it mm-hmm. and my ptsd is completely mm-hmm. different you know Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, it's, I know it's not going to go away. And uh, I just try to be a witness and see it, you know, and I keep one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think too, from what I've heard through speaking with you is you did not turn away from either of your feelings with each other and with yourselves. I think that's very important going through a traumatic experience it's okay to not have a timeline. It's okay to take it moment by moment, day by day, hour by hour. Do not be so hard on yourself that you feel that you have to get over something just because, you know, society tells you it can take years. It can take an entire lifetime, but I'm impressed at how you both have not only taken the time for yourselves individually, because that's important, Mm -hmm. but then you're also working as a unit and as a team together based on sharing that experience, but also respecting the other partner of, you had your experience. I had my experience. We're going to work separately, but also find that place to come together. I think that's very, very important for the healing process. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, it is for, sure. for and, sure. And I don't know if you ever get over it. You know, people like to say that they'll use that phrase. And I mean, how do you ever get over yeah. something that you you saw and something that you heard and something that you did with your own hand? You never get over it. Mm-hmm. You just have to process it the best way that you can. And you just have to find the lessons and find the growth and find the why, the reason. Mm -hmm. Why did that happen? What is Mm -hmm. my lesson? Mm -hmm. What do I need to learn from that? Um, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'll never get over it ever, ever. But I'll continue to process it until I take my last breath. Mm That's the key. You process and then you accept what you can in the moment of acceptance. Mm -hmm. I think that's extremely important. And your moment of acceptance, it may alternate. One day you may accept it. And like Molly said, I just, I was so angry. I felt embarrassed. And you're going to feel all those feelings in trauma because like that, you live in a small town. Everybody knows your business. I was born and raised in a small town in Ohio. I mean, we had the same mailman. We waved at our neighbors. If somebody got a new car, they knew before you even made it to your driveway. So you have this sense of accomplishment of who you are and success in your life. And when something happens like this, you go from a small community to the entire world using your life as an entertainment story, which is, I mean, I can't even begin to imagine adding that into processing and healing and 
And I mean, I appreciate you guys coming on today and talking about it because every time you talk about it, it's putting you right back in that moment, which is also a part of the healing process and it makes it really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I think, I think we've come a long way though. I mean, I, I know I can cause like I got through all of this. I only got choked up one time. So that's progress, right? Like, you know, you, you have to take note of those little <laughs> wins. Like I used to not even be able to talk about talk this about at all. Like, so yeah. You know, you just, you get, and and I have, like I said at the beginning, I've come to this place where I never would have, I will never pick what happened to us. I would never say like, oh, oh yeah, that sounds great, obviously. But I will tell you, I'm a better human being on the other side of this. Like yeah. the empathy that I have for people now, yeah. like, you know, not that I was this uncaring person, but you just, when you go through something like this and then you see other people that are hurting, hurting and our world is full of hurting people there's you, feel it. you like recognize it on a completely different level you, feel you know you um and then also too i think like this mm -hmm. the self-confidence i have like i i know that i have strength within me like you know it's been tested <laughs> in a very large way and so there's a lot of different things mm -hmm. that you can gain by going through you know difficult things and so that's kind of what i would say to people like just you're never going to pick it, but trust the process and trust what you can gain and what you can learn from it. Mm -hmm. Well, again, thank you guys so much for coming on, sharing your story, but also showing people that you don't have to stay stuck in the traumatic experience. It's okay to process it. You can dip back into that chapter here right. and there, but you need to move on with your life and understand that only mm -hmm. the strong ones are put into these circumstances because you are strong enough to survive it and you're strong enough to come out on the other side. So thank you guys for coming on, sharing your story, being vulnerable. I will put all your information in the bio um, as well. Make sure you follow their story. And if you're listening right now and you're in that dark space that you don't think you can come out of it and you're going through a traumatic experience, PTSD, anxiety, panic attacks, and everything in between, follow them on TikTok. Go on their live because you're not the only person that's going through a hard time. You will get through it because you are strong enough to make sure that you can get on the other side. Thank you, Tabitha. It was really nice to meet you and talk with you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Little Bit of Life. Don't forget to rate, review, and follow today's episode on your favorite listening platform. And share these stories to more that need to be in the know. Get in on the action with the podcast Facebook and follow The Little Adventures on Instagram at LittleCuteOneAZ. I'll catch you on the next episode.